0: Howdy, friends. I'm coming to you from America, as is this podcast, but not the same trip. Podcast land sometimes has an odd sense of serendipity when it comes to the scheduling. So, today I am sitting down with Professor David Sinclair from Harvard Medical School. Now, I first heard David on Joe Rogan's podcast and was blown away by his insight. He is an expert in anti aging and longevity. Uh, He has more companies than I think even he can remember, and has essentially the same as a knighthood in the UK, but the Australian version. Oh yeah, and he's one of Time Magazine's 50 most influential health professionals on the planet. So in short, he knows what he's on about. Today we're learning about what makes us age, how our cells and genes degenerate and get damaged over time, and what techniques are available to actually... Slow, stop, and reverse this process. That's right, making animals younger than they are. Sounds like science fiction, but it's just another day in the life of David's laboratory. So, yes, strap in and get a notepad and pen out for this one. Also, I'm going to predict a number of inquiries about who Inside Tracker are, after me and David both extol their virtues on this particular episode. So if you're interested, head to www. InsideTracker.com to find out more about their service. David uses it, and if it's good enough for him, pretty certain it's good enough for the rest of us. But for now, please welcome Professor David Sinclair. Oh yeah, P.S. There's some special behind-the-scenes footage of David's laboratory and Harvard Medical School, along with me taking far too much caffeine on the YouTube channel, so go and watch the episode on there if you fancy it. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So, to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash modern right now. That's netsuite.com slash modern. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I'm joined by Professor David Sinclair of Harvard Medical School. How are you today? I'm
1: doing really well, Chris.
0: I'm very, very glad to be here. I'm uh, off to see your friends at Inside Tracker later on. Uh, I'm going to go straight over there and have a sit down with them and go through my, uh, my results, see what, see what they've got to say.
1: Oh really? You've had your blood drawn? I uh-huh, have indeed, uh-huh. yeah. That'll be exciting.
0: Uh, I went to Quest Diagnostics uh, a week and a bit ago in California. Um, and I went through my results with Stacy. If it's not if she's not called Stacy, I'm going to be in so much bother um, with one of the analysts at Inside Tracker. And they took me through all of my stuff earlier on actually, which
1: is super interesting. So are you uh, older or younger than your actual age?
0: I am 31 in real years and the inside of my body is 36. Oh, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Um That is because glucose being out of range. Mm-hmm. weights very heavily um, and the only thing I've got is slightly out of range glucose and my lipids are a tiny little bit out as well so I need to eat soluble fiber
1: yeah you'll you'll enjoy that um, <laughs>
0: soluble fiber when I was looking at the list of potential groups of foods it was just 20 different types of beans and I was like <laughs> I have oh, no. I have no types of beans in my diet, like a baked beans, like does that count as a bean? Uh, uh, I'm sure it does. It has the desired effect, I bet. It does indeed. So, the first question I've got for you, what What do you do here? I know we're in Harvard Medical School, I haven't got the first idea about what it is that you do.
1: Well, so I, I come in every day to my lab, uh, there's about 30 to 35 people in, in my lab. Um, And I instruct them to discover really cool stuff. that's basically my job. Uh, And they'll come to me and I'll say, I've got an idea to discover something. And I'll say, that sounds good, go do it. Or that sounds really boring, don't bother doing it. And by the way, how much is that going to cost? And they'll tell me it's going to cost about $2 million. So it's my job to bring in the money and let them uh, figure it out. But the theme of my lab is focused on aging and has been since I started the lab uh, about 20 years ago here at Harvard. And so I I run a center for aging research here, and we are really working, uh, not just on trying to understand why we age, but also how do we slow down and reverse that process as well.
0: And that's all being conducted here, but also offsite at one of your multiple companies, or is it mostly here, or is it, how does it work?
1: Well, there's a giant ecosystem. Um, This is the Menlo Park version uh, of the ecosystem where we do the very basic discovery. We can ask fundamental questions about what is the clock of aging? Uh, Can we reprogram the body? Is it safe? Uh, And can we extend lifespan? Mostly of animals we work with here. Uh, These are um, laboratory animals. Uh, Outside of the university is uh, a network of companies um, institutes, colleagues, collaborators, um, literally thousands of people around the globe, uh, Europe, Asia, Australia, and others, uh, all working with us on trying to understand these questions, answers to these questions. But also what makes my lab rare uh, and unusual is we're very innovative, uh, so that we file patents once every few months. We spin out a company at least a couple of times a year. Uh, And the reason for doing that is not because, well, I do like starting companies, but that's not why I do it. (laughs) Uh, I do it because I'm not satisfied with just publishing work. I feel that my role on this planet, if I have one, is to try and help people with their lives, to live longer and healthier and more productively. And just making a discovery in a yeast cell or a mouse isn't doing it for me. That's just part of what I'm here for. You need to apply that as well. Exactly. So most of the companies that come out of this lab are biotech companies working on medicines, but we also do a whole range of other things. We have biosecurity, so protecting the world from pathogens and and other nasty things that can go on. Um, we also work on bioinformatics, so trying to understand, so like inside Tracker, how do you estimate somebody's age and help <laughs> them with their living and what they're eating. Um, but mostly it's molecules that we hope will be drugs one day to not just treat one particular disease of aging, say diabetes or heart disease or cancer, but to have a radical type of medicine uh, that would actually slow down all diseases as at once with a single pill.
0: Is it likely that there is a, I don't know whether panacea is the right word, but a out there a particular way to manipulate molecules which will be the equivalent of an aging panacea? Uh,
1: well, there certainly will be. Uh, a lot of people who hear that we're close to finding something that'll slow down aging, uh, they're right to be skeptical
0: because... It sounds like turning back time, right? Like literally feels like, are oh, you slowing down aging? Yeah, cool, And can I go and get in a DeLorean at the same time, please? Is that alright?
1: Right, but actually figuring out how to slow down aging or reverse time is, is a lot easier than building a time machine, <laughs> and I think it's gonna be easier than curing cancer. Uh, it's not that hard. We actually understand as a field over the last 20 years, what controls aging. We have genes in our body called longevity genes that slow the process down. And in recent breakthroughs, just in the last couple of years, uh, the field and my lab have discovered that you can reprogram the body and reset the body's clock to be young again. And when I say body, I mean it's still in in the lab. But we hope that within a couple of years, we'll be actually be doing human clinical trials to literally reverse aging in cells.
0: What's the mechanism that this works on? Can you take us through
1: it? Yeah. Well, the, there are three main approaches that we're taking, um, and I'll just summarise them. The first that we've been doing for a long time is activating the body's defences against ageing. So normally you have to be hungry or exercise to do that. We've found genes and molecules that you can give to animals and, and to people, actually, that slow down the effects of ageing. So that's one. So that think of that as activating the body's natural defences against deterioration and disease. That we've been doing for 20 years at least. The second is to delete cells that are actually causing the problem. So there are cells called senescent cells that you might think of as zombie cells. And those zombie cells are causing havoc and you can actually get rid of them. And when you do that in a mouse, it'll live longer and be healthier. Then the third approach, which is much more recent, but much more powerful than any of those, is called partial cellular reprogramming, and uh, my lab and some others have actually shown, just a few others around the world, that currently if you put a combination of resetting genes into cells in the dish and actually in an animal, you can quite literally reverse the age of those cells so that they become young again. And in mice, what we're discovering, and we're writing these papers up now, is that you can drive aging forward and accelerate it with this technology and you can reverse it just as easily and make cells behave as though they're almost embryonic. Uh, I'll give you an example. Yes. When we're, when we're born, one of the first things that ages in our body is our, is our spinal cord uh, and our central nervous system. And you, you might say, well, David, why do you say it's aging? Well, a young neuron will be able to repair itself and regrow. But we know that if we damage our eye, our optic nerve, or our spine, we're never going to walk again or see again but if you're young or if you're a salamander you can actually regrow the, the central nervous system so we've got ways now of reprogramming those cells or uh, an entire mouse to make it ostensibly younger again and they regrow their optic nerves so that they can see again
0: that sounds like science fiction
1: i thought so too um but in may this past year 2018, um, one of my students who was working on this, Wan Cheng, he thought it was never going to work but he thought he tried anyway. So he injected this gene combination into the eye of a mouse and he damaged the optic nerve so that it was all dying, mm-hmm. turned on the system and it grew back. And he texted me the picture and said, I cannot believe this is working. And I said, you know what? I can see the future right now. And uh, he's since tested it on Glaucoma, which is damaged due to eye pressure. He's tested on, on just on regular old mice that don't have good vision. You know, I'm f- almost 50, and I can already tell my retina's not as good as it used to be. Uh, we can actually treat old mice and get them to see like a young mouse within just a few weeks.
0: I, to me, aging feels a little bit like the passage of time. So it feels like something that you are along for the ride with, and it would appear that that's not quite the case, and that I think I'm a good avatar for the layperson. I understand that cells regenerate, and I think that your entire body, every cell is redone within a particularly, not a a hugely long window of time. Um, But for some reason the concept of them actually growing or getting younger just seems at odds. It feels like we would be going back in time.
1: Well, we're going back in age uh, and you can disconnect biological age from chronological age. The, one of the main reasons I believe we age is that uh, we, have a, we, we have what's called an epigenetic clock that ticks over as we get older due to time, but also how we treat our bodies. If we smoke, we don't exercise or we're obese, the clock will tick faster. But now that we understand what the clock is, we're finding that we can actually revert that age and get the biological clock to go backward, not just slow it down. And so those nerve cells that I was talking about regenerating, we do literally make them biologically young again. And how that actually happens is on the cutting edge of science right now. But we have some clues as to how the cell is accessing the youthful information that is locked away inside it. Can you explain how that works? I can to the very extent of what is known to science right now.
0: Yes. Yeah. Your best, your best idea is it? What's on this whiteboard? Is that some it? of it?
1: That's a messy diagram that I drew trying to explain it. It uh, looks
0: like bunches of grapes. Those are some mice running towards other mice. That's a little boat at sea. Um, that is that's a cloud. That's a cloud with birds coming out of it. It's exactly right. You solved
1: it. Cricket balls there at the yep. top. Yep. Actually, that's a tennis game within our cells, literally. <laughs> uh, well, ver- and maybe not, not literally. We don't have tennis balls. But <laughs> what we do have are proteins that act like tennis balls that bounce around inside the cells going from one thing to another, and that's a tennis game. And what we've discovered is that normally those tennis balls, those proteins, will sit on parts of the genome to tell a cell it's a liver cell or it's a brain cell, muscle cell.
0: So it doesn't regenerate the wrong thing. Right.
1: Okay. Right. And those are laid down, those structures in the cells are laid down when we're born. So a muscle cell is not going to give rise to two liver cells, it's going to give rise to more muscle cells. Yes. And we understand pretty much how that works. These proteins that sit on the DNA, they control which genes are on and which are off at any one time. Okay. But those balls actually get distracted. And so here's where the tennis analogy comes in. We can distract those proteins by doing things to the cell. One really great way of distracting them is to break a chromosome and then those proteins they panic and the cell pulls them to the break to help repair the broken chromosome leaving those genes at to to wreak havoc for a short period but then once the repair is complete they'll go back and re-establish that program again so that the liver cell stays a liver cell. The problem is with the tennis analogy if you keep whacking balls back and forth over 70 or 80 years you're going to lose balls you're going to not hit them back to where they came from and it ends up being a huge mess and so there's balls scattered all over the court Mm -hmm. or in this case those proteins that were once laid down in the right place to turn the cell the the genes on at the right time are now scattered all over the, the cell the nucleus and the cell loses its identity so a liver cell is an old liver cell is more like other cells in the body and actually they forget to be liver cells
0: Okay, so can you explain the difference between what would look like a young cell and what would look like an old cell, or what is what categorizes that? That's someone who needs to know what a young liver and an old yeah. liver cell look like. That's what that person. Well, needs. I can
1: pretty much guarantee you that it's someone calling me to find out how much of a certain molecule they should ingest. That's usually the <laughs> is that call. really
0: what you're getting at the moment?
1: Uh, hundreds of emails
0: a day. Yeah. Really, it's a lot. Well, I mean, this is the Joe Rogan effect, isn't it?
1: Well, it's always been a lot, but yeah, Joe uh, did uh, increase the level of of interest, for sure. Uh, Also, I'm I'm fairly rare as a scientist, I talk about research as it's happening, Mm -hmm. and it's sparked people's imagination.
0: To segue briefly here, um, one of my friends who spends a fair bit of time on Reddit uh, mentioned that him and some of his buddies loved the episode that you'd done with Joe, and that they were part of the... Uh, r slash longevity uh, thread uh, on Reddit, and I just decided that he would post. Um, one of my buddies is going to go and do a podcast with Professor David Sinclair. Does anyone have any questions? And I thought it would be like I don't know, how many how many pieces of fruit and veg should I eat a day, or uh, how long is the optimal window of a fast? Like you know, sixteen eight, or should I be doing like eighteen six, or whatever it might be? And the list of questions that. I had to try and translate. I've not even... They're in Evernote, but they're just staying there because I can't pronounce half of the words <laughs> that are in there. But I think one of the things that it definitely did identify to me is yeah. that uh, longevity at the moment appears to be a very emerging field within kind of the the general public or becoming more of a, a general public concern. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone's ageing,
1: right? Right. Well, we've always been ageing as a species for ever since we were, you know primordial cells in the soup at 4 billion years ago. Uh, And we've always been conscious of our mortality. But I think there are two things happening, Chris. One is that the science is mature, and it's no longer an if. It's just a when. We have the technology. We understand how to slow down aging, maybe even reverse it. And the other is that the world, I see, is bifurcating into two types of people. Uh, Those that want to understand a topic in detail, so your listeners, are those type of people and God bless them. Um, This is the level of detail that typically members of the public would never know about. Uh, And then the rest of the world watches cats playing pianos and stuff. But thank goodness there are people who really care about the world and what's happening and and want to learn in detail beyond what uh, typically a newspaper used to tell people.
0: I agree, I I think that we've emancipated the ability for people to to learn uh, in as much detail as they want and there is a there is a horse for every course uh, with regards to what people want to learn. Um, you're totally right that for myself, I we get comments all the time on the, on the YouTube videos and stuff like a too long didn't read, like can someone do a TLDR of this particular podcast? And I'm like, if you want a shortened version of this, there's someone, or if you want to watch something which is short, YouTube is awash with three and four minute videos. Like, Feel free to go and watch that. I particularly, and I know that the listeners do as well, they enjoy the nuance and the subtlety and the detail and, and deconstructing things down to its component parts over the course of one, two hours. That's what I think is important. And it definitely sounds like that's helping people to buy into more difficult topics potentially like this.
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, because when a newspaper reporter, not all of them, but many of them over the, my career, which now spans 25, 30 years, uh, they latch onto this, and it's always hyped. Oh, we're going to live forever. You should drink more red wine, blah, blah, blah. And I can tell you, as a scientist who's spent his career working on the cutting edge of research at Harvard Medical School, publishing in the world's best scientific journals, it's really frustrating. And it, it's actually taken a lot of willpower to make it through those times, because the num- almost every time what I say comes out changed you get misshapen. the bastardized
0: version of whatever it is that you've said.
1: And no wonder the public says, yeah, this is another stupid story. It mm-hmm. can't be true. But if you listen to two hours of someone like me talking, uh, you really do realize that the science is way more advanced than people ever knew about. And as a scientist, I just you know thank heaven. Thank people like you who mm-hmm. can actually allow people like me to, to reach many people at a level that never was possible before.
0: I totally agree. Um... How much? This is a question that's been percolating around in my head. How much do you think the increasing interest in longevity with the general public is due to a fear of death?
1: Ah, uh, probably most of it. Most of it. Okay. Deep down, I think we're all afraid of dying. And maybe not. That actually, the day we die, we're not afraid of. I'm not afraid of dying. I've looked death in the face a few times in my life. It's not that scary, but. I think we're all fearful of uh, of not being around. It's going to be pretty boring. We're never, probably never going to see our loved ones again or our friends. That's pretty sad if you really think about it. And it actually takes a lot of courage to think about our own mortality. Mostly by the time we're age six, we forget about it and don't think about it again until we're about 50 years old. Uh, and that interim period, we assume we're immortal. Of course, we're not. Uh, and I don't think we ever will be. Uh, but I think what's going on is that, that once you realize that something can be treated, potentially, then it gets exciting. A you know, hundred years ago, people used to say, you know, cancer and gangrene, dying from a splinter, childbirth, these were things that were just the way life is or was, just the way it goes. And so people didn't really care that much about it. Once antibiotics were developed and other medical treatments, people actually were okay talking about it. And the same is happening with aging right now. Uh, the best analogy I could give in terms of human history, it's like the Wright brothers, where in 1902 they built their Wright flyers and uh, we're, we're strapping on engines and uh, and seeing where we can fly.
0: Yeah, uh, you are right that the frame is moving with regards to the fidelity and the resolution with which we see life, that a splinter could have killed you 100 years ago or that I read a, an article not too long ago about the fact that so many prehistoric uh, people died from uh, issues with their teeth that they had uh, mouth infections. That was really? one of the one of yeah. the, the main things because they, they had no way to be able to uh, comprehensively clean their uh, their mouths. And um, you are right. As as time begins to move forward, and as the um, public perception hasn't yet caught up with the technology that's available the status quo as it is at the moment, well, aging is always going to be there. We've always got older and now we, we will forever more. was the same as 100 years ago. People have always died in childbirth or people have always died from gangrene or a splinter or scurvy or whatever it might be. Exactly.
1: That's exactly right. And that's why I think that especially younger people who tend to listen to this kind of show more than older people uh, really get it. They get that we're going through a scientific transformation and that the future that most people think is coming that's not going to happen. The future is something quite different. And people who are born today or people in their 20s and 30s are going to see radical changes that are far bigger and far more important than the iPhone. You know, does anyone really care about the next you know, additional memory in an iPhone? I think we reached a point where a lot of that technology, frankly, is, is being you know, quite disappointing with the new releases. I would agree. So what's the next big thing for, you, for humanity? Well, some of it's artificial intelligence. I just had one of the world's leading AI people visit the lab this morning. Just That was one of the reasons. Uh,
0: wow. So that was the reason that we were running half an hour late. I mean, if, if, if Elon Musk's in here, then it's fine. Like, Elon, mate, I'll forgive you. Uh, I would like a Tesla Roadster, please, if it's available. Um, but, yeah, it's okay.
1: Well, yeah, I, I agree with Elon about a lot of things, but on AI... I think he's wrong. I, I think that we can build AI systems and enough checks that we, we will not be overrun by evil. Have you read Superintelligence
0: by Nick Bostrom?
1: Not yet, it's good.
0: Highly, highly okay. recommended. Do you know who Nick is? Pref- the head of the Future of Humanities Institute. Um, where, or, where is that? Uh, over in London, it's Kirk. Oh, okay. I think it's Oxford, okay. um, Oxford University. Um, he's recently done a podcast with Sam Harris which is absolutely fantastic Okay, um, I would recommend checking it out it will be in the show notes below for anyone who wants to, uh, to find out what I'm talking about um, I don't want to segue on AI but we've touched on it so I'm going to do it anyway um, the control problem for AI is something that's difficult I think uh, not allowing our um, creations to get out of hand is there a similar concern with regards to developing these tools for longevity that you could, um, a nefarious group could get a hold of the technology and then weaponize it or do something really, really sort of uh, untoward?
1: Uh, well, yeah, always you can turn technology against humanity. Uh, I'm, I'm not worried about that so much with what I do, because uh, even though we have the technology to make mice and probably people age rapidly... Uh, it'd be about the slowest way to to damage your enemies. <laughs> there are much more efficient shooting ways. someone in the
0: head has all has been created as a pretty efficient way to.
1: There's there's that and somewhere in between, you know, we we could pretty easily unleash a, a deadly virus that wouldn't be too far beyond what we could even do in in this lab. Not that we would, but yeah. But in terms of making people age prematurely, uh, we can certainly do it. And mm. I could take you downstairs, or maybe somewhere I shouldn't say. And there yeah. are, there are. Uh, mice that we can control their aging process forward and backward. So that's doable. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think people get uncomfortable with this technology is, um, so we now understand that there are genes that control how long we live. There's one, for example, called FOXO, which is turned on in whales and longer-lived animals than us. There are even human variants. Uh, my children were lucky enough, two of them out of three, to inherit two really good copies of, of this longevity gene. And so they're probably going to live a lot longer than, than my wife and I. Will, Um, So we we know a lot about that. So why does this get weird? Well, now that we can CRISPR engineer babies, what's going to happen when the world's most uh, intent helicopter parent wants a kid that can live to 120? That's probably doable right now. Whether or not we should is another question. Whose job is it to work out whether or not we should? Well, right now there's a worldwide debate amongst scientists about whether we should come out against it. Uh, interestingly, when when human stem cells were first discovered, uh, and that you could reprogram cells and clone animals, there was a, a much greater backlash. Uh, you probably remember the the Blair Bush days, where there were all these in, these committees set up, and it was banned here in the U.S. Blah blah blah. We had something just as big happen uh, last year. Was that a Chinese researcher, professor? He had a couple of uh, well engineered a couple of twins, twin girls who were, are resistant, going to be resistant to HIV infection. And he engino- engineered those genetically. Now there was a little bit of upset. A lot of scientists got upset because this was announced without any warning at a scientific conference. There was no oversight, there was no consultation with governments or other scientists. So the shock really took us all by surprise. But there was no major backlash, there hasn't been yet. There hasn't been any outlawing, you certainly don't hear a lot of backlash at the higher levels of government over here in the U.S. at least. Um, I think that's healthy. I think that what we've got is a very rational debate and that we shouldn't just overreact just because something feels weird or isn't has never been done before. Mm. Now, we need to discuss uh, not just the ethics, but is it safe? And that I think safety is more important than, than ethics, actually. Um, and what I mean by that is Someone's ethics might be different than yours. I mean, usually uh, I come down on the side of freedom to to do things as long as they're safe and that they're beneficial um, and there's some consent. Um, But in this case, what's tricky is that your children don't have consent. So that's why I think Mm. it's it's a hard one. But what if your child was definitely going to get, say, a dominant genetic disease and there was no way to get around it except um, either have new parents, mm-hmm. or don't breed, um, or to uh, have an abortion. What would be an example
0: of a dominant genetic disease?
1: Uh, so Huntington's, for example, if both parents have Huntington's, you can, or even one, you can have a, a child with Huntington's. Um, I mean, you can always select the embryo, but maybe you don't want to kill embryos, so maybe you could create uh, an embryo that you go in with this CRISPR editing system and chop out the bad Huntington's gene and create healthy child. That should be doable. It's a big ethical question there, isn't there? Uh, Well, there, there is, though if you're making people healthier and not suffer, I always say that that's what we humans have always done. That's why we invented aspirin and antibiotics. We're just going into a new era where we can really have a big effect, because it's not just on one person's life, it's Generations forever beyond mm. that person what's
0: the second order third order fourth order effect of this particular decision yeah. I guess the the most subtle the most subtle question is between Huntington's disease and a, a healthy uh, human baby the line appears to be quite clear uh, as what is preferable but as the fidelity of that becomes well I've got two ginger parents and my dad got bullied at school for being ginger like I don't want to have a ginger child uh, you know where do we begin to draw the line here because in essence all we're talking about at the lowest at the highest resolution is preference.
1: It is and then it gets really crazy when parents say I want the smartest kid I can have uh, or the best looking kid.
0: Can we identify
1: the uh, contributing factors to that? Well there there was a gene published last year that is thought to, Contributed to human intelligence and speech mm-hmm. uh, that differentiates differentiates us from the chimps, and perhaps having more copies of that gene could make us smarter. We don't know that yet, so I think that that's still in science realm of science fiction. But you know, looking ahead thirty years from now, you could probably engineer your child to have these traits mm-hmm. of hu- certainly height, disease resistance. We can protect against cardiovascular disease. Um, and what about intelligence and longevity? Um, and then we also, it gets into a crazy zone where, imagine 100 years from now, that you can have a, an army of clones or of people who are robust, who heal better, don't bleed out, they or don't get diseases. Soldiers. Yeah, I mean, this is not beyond possibility in terms of technology today, mm-hmm. here in the, uh, the second decade of the 21st century. 22nd century, it's going to be quite something to see. And biology, getting back to the iPhone, I think biology is going to really make a much bigger difference to our lives than any electronic Wikipedia. technology. Yeah.
0: I do love Wikipedia. Um, did you listen to Alex Jones on Joe Rogan, the most recent one? I did, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really even know where to start with that, but the, the transhuman animal... Hybrids in the flesh farms, wherever it is, like is is that the sort of thing that's doable at the moment with current technology?
1: Oh, yeah, we we do create uh, chimeric animals uh, right. in the lab, yeah, uh, and so What's, that what, the island you of Doctor Mar- chimeric please? Well, it means it's a, it's a an organism that's comprised of cells with different genomes, and uh, so it's a it's a mixed organism, and. Yeah, we, we could do that, but, uh, I mean, that that to me seems highly unethical and even unnecessary.
0: Well, I, I think everyone would, would agree that that's the case, but it doesn't necessarily stop the technology from occurring. And I suppose the line between how do you... What if you had to do a lot of iterations of Chimera um, proliferation and... X number of years from then, you would develop this unbelievable new uh, solution to something you've been looking to work on. Does the cost yeah. outweigh the the benefit?
1: Right. Well, I think we all, we all have personal views on that. Um, one area that I think is really interesting in this building right here at Harvard Medical School is uh, whether or not you think it's okay to use animal organs for humans. And so one of the reasons we don't use pig Uh, livers for transplant is they're full of pig viruses, but George Church and his uh, spin-out company are actually removing those viruses, cutting them out of the pig genome so that these livers might be useful. Um, And you might say, well, we we shouldn't be breeding pigs to to have transplants, but if we're eating the rest of the animal and throwing away the livers, why not?
0: That's a very good question. I'd be interested to hear what the listeners think about that particular Ethical dilemma about, I suppose the vegans and the vegetarians might be firmly on one side of that already. They don't need; it doesn't matter whether or not the liver is going into someone's body. I think that they've already made their stance on that.
1: Yeah, I, I would charge the, the listeners with the following thought: What if it was your mother or your child who needed a liver transplant, and there were none available? Would you sacrifice a pig?
0: That is a difficult question to answer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, moving back onto the uh, questions that you get all of the time ringing through the phone. What are the um, what would you say are the foundational uh, strategies that people right now should be looking to incorporate into their lives to improve longevity?
1: Right. Well, one of the, the reasons that this field is, is taking off also is because there are things that people can do right now that we've learned are actually helpful for turning on these longevity genetic pathways. Uh, if I could give one piece of advice, only one, uh, and I will give more, but if I could only give one, the most important thing would be eat less. Eating less has been shown for for centuries, but also in labs for the last 70, 80 years, to be extremely effective in extending lifespan of everything from yeast cells to worms to flies to mice to monkeys. And if humans don't live longer for fasting and calorie restriction, then then we'd be the exception on the planet. And I don't believe that we're an exceptional species, biologically speaking. Um, so eat less. What does that mean? Well, nobody knows what the perfect diet is. I get a lot of those questions. What There's, should I eat? What should I Well, w- what you eat is important, but when you eat and how much you eat are just as important as well. Uh, so what? don't I I'd give you an example of what I do. As, as you know, I, I do a fair bit of research, and I've come up with my own best practices. Um so I do intermittent fasting. Now, there are a variety of those, and I think many of your listeners probably know them by name. But there, there's fast every other day. There's fast uh, two days out of five. There's uh, skip breakfast and perhaps have a late lunch and don't have a late dinner as well. Uh, that's the one that I prefer. I find it easier to skip breakfast and have a late lunch than to really go through days of, of being hungry. I can't tolerate it for too long. But I don't mind hunger pains for a few hours. Um, On top of that, uh, I take uh, a drug called metformin, which is prescribed for diabetics, type 2 diabetics, age-associated diabetes, which has two main effects. First of all, obviously, it lowers blood glucose. That's what it's prescribed for for patients. Uh, But it also is is quite rough on people's stomach, and I find that it actually stopped me from being hungry. It curbs the hunger pains. Yeah, it really is effective. And so I have the kind of biology, uh, and so does my son, uh, that we like to eat. We feel hunger more strongly, apparently, than other people. We're kind of like Labradors of the human world. Uh, but we also gain weight uh, rapidly. We put on muscle, but we also gain weight pretty quickly. And so I would, if I was allowed to eat what I wanted to, without a lot of mental power and a little bit of health from metformin, I would be quite an obese person. And, and my son, uh, God bless him, he hopefully is not listening to this podcast, He's put on a lot of weight. Uh, he's 11 years old, and we're going to the gym. But uh, you can see that it's, it's pretty hard for people with our genotype to uh, keep the weight off. And so, His
0: Body's raring at the, jumping at the bit to get bigger.
1: Well, it is, it is. And so he's, he's getting strong, but he's also covered in a layer of fat. And so my point is that if I can do it, and you know, I'm, I've got a BMI of about 21, 22. Mm-hmm. If I can do it, anyone can.
0: Because you are genetically predisposed to have a a poor, thin person uh, body type.
1: Yeah, well, you know, my, my father uh, it was prone to obesity, his di- has diabetes, and his grandmother, well, my grandmother, his mother had a stroke in her 30s and had type 2 diabetes. So my I, I have half Ashkenazi Jew genetics mm-hmm. coming out of Hungary. Sinclair is not my real family name. It's Sigeti. Uh, those genes are pretty crap when it comes to longevity. And uh, so we're fighting it. My, my father, my son, myself, trying to live at least a normal lifespan.
0: I understand. So you mentioned that fasting is effective due to calorie restriction. What's the mechanism that that works on?
1: Right, so we didn't know how calorie restriction worked until recently, and it's exciting we understand it. So how does it work? Well, this is partly what we've discovered in my lab. There's many others in the world as well, but we can put a little brick in the wall for that. We showed that there are longevity genes, uh, they've got the name sir 2 um, actually named after a yeast gene called SIR2. And that gene controls which genes are switched on and which genes are switched off. It's called a silent information regulator. That's what SIR2 stands for. And this gene really gets back to that clock of aging that I started talking about earlier. It controls which genes should be off to maintain youth, but over time it actually gets distracted and goes to other places to repair broken chromosomes, for example, and ends up causing a yeast cell to lose its identity. It actually loses its sexual identity, becomes sterile, and that's a hallmark of yeast aging. So what that tells us is that there are genes in a yeast cell that control its longevity. turns out if you give a yeast cell more SIR2 genes, or more copies of SIR2, it'll live longer. Um, Take it away, it'll live shorter. Okay, so that's the fundamental knowledge that you need to understand what I'm about to tell you. SIR2 makes a protein that controls these, the epigenome these genes, but it, it doesn't work well unless it has a molecule in the cell called NAD. The long term, the long uh, word for that is nicotinamide. Uh, adenine dinucleotide, but let's call it NAD. NAD is much better, yeah. Yeah, NAD or NAD, some people call it, but it should be called NAD. Let's not call it NAD. I Don't mean, call it I'm NAD.
0: British, I'm British, and NADs are not not what I want to be taking.
1: No, we, well, you know some people want larger NADs. That's true. We we have we have NAD boosters in the lab. That's what <laughs> that's what my dad takes. So these NAD, NAD boosters, the relevance of that is that these SIR2 proteins, these SIR2 ones in in our body. They don't work well unless they have a lot of NAD in the cell. Uh, As we get older, and even as yeast cells get older, they lose their NAD. So that by the time you're 50 years old, uh, like me, you have about half the levels of NAD that you had when you were 20. Without the NAD, the sirtuins are lazy. They don't control the genes of youth well. And they don't repair broken DNA well. And that leads to aging in organisms, we believe, among other things. But that's one of the main causes. So what does calorie restriction and fasting have to do with it? By fasting and calorie restricting, we actually boost the levels of NAD in the cell so that those repair genes and those protectors of the of the genome, sirtuins, are more active. That's one of the explanations for calorie restriction. There are other genes that control aging. There's one called mTOR. There's one called AMP kinase. And all of these longevity pathways that I'm telling you about are boosted by fasting. And so we think that by being hungry, what you're really doing in a general sense is telling the body, I'm under threat. I might be dead in a month from now. My food supply is running out. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to build a stronger body. I'm going to survive. I'm going to breed less. Remember, the yeast cells become sterile. We become less fertile if we're starving as well, by the way, especially (laughs) women. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a survival response that we kick into action just by being hungry or by exercising for that matter.
0: Is that one of the reasons why bodybuilders, when they diet down for a show and they're at super low body fat, will have trouble with uh, maintaining erections and and sex drive and things like that? Is that likely to be the same pathway?
1: Well, so I didn't know that for a fact, uh, but it perfectly makes sense that it's a balance between growth and reproduction and hunkering down and surviving. And we call this the disposable soma theory. So this is actually a a Brit, uh, Tom Kirkwood, just... Proposed this back in the 1970s. And the idea is that species as a whole and individuals also are exercising a trade off between growing fast and reproducing and hungering down and building a body that lasts a long time. So, by stimulating growth and reproduction, so if you take a lot of testosterone, that triggers a lot of growth, you take a lot of protein, amino acids, it's great. Bodybuilding, you'll repair things better. But it's probably at the expense of building a long-lasting body eventually mm-hmm. that, that may run out. So you might want to pulse between growth and reproduction and then shut it down a little bit by fasting. And so testosterone is one of those molecules that tells the body grow muscle, mm-hmm. which is shut down by being hungry so you'd survive.
0: So the, the actual hunger itself, is it the sensation of being hungry that causes this beneficial effect? Or is it the fact that the blood glucose is lower? Is it what the actual mechanism
1: that it's working on? Well, it, it's actually thought to be both, based on mouse experiments. If you cut back on calories but still fill the stomach with cellulose, that is sufficient to extend lifespan. So part of it is the, the biochemical response to low calories and low amino acid. Okay, but it's not everything. Uh, so the the You can be full uh, and you can still get the benefits of low calories. That's interesting. But on the other hand, some people have done the opposite, which is uh, give a lot of calories but simulate hunger. And you can do that by tweaking the brain in in ways.
0: Increasing ghrelin release and stuff like that. Exactly.
1: Uh, And people can also tweak the hypothalamus, uh, which uh, in itself can extend the lifespan of an animal.
0: Tweaking the hypothalamus sounds like a terrifying thing to do. It's not taking your car in to get the MOT done or have a service.
1: It's like poking your brain. Right. It's changing glucocorticoids, which signal to the body that it's hungry or it needs to grow. Uh, and that also extends lifespan, uh,
0: does anything not extend lifespan? Cuz I I I'm, plenty of things. I feel like I feel like everything <laughs> that we've talked about today, I, I should just live to 120 just by pretending, just testing stuff. I'll open that drawer, I'll see if that drawer extends lifespan. I'll like
1: use the use my left hand to, to put that coat on and that'll extend lifespan. Well, obviously we don't we don't read about those studies that failed. Yes. So there's a lot of things in my lab, for example, that never extended lifespan.
0: Are there any uh, notable examples of that? That you thought, or was there anything that you thought would really was a real winner, and then it turned out to not be a winner?
1: Well, let's see. So usually we don't embark on a mouse experiment that'll take three or four years without some pretty good science behind it. Uh, we've tried some plant molecules that that didn't extend the lifespan of some some species. Gee, let me think. Uh, we we tried some versions of rapamycin, which are uh, turned down this mTOR pathway, one of those longevity pathways, and that didn't extend yeast cells very much um, because we think there was some side effects of toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, we overexpressed the CERT one gene, one of these mammalian sirtuins, and that didn't work, and we figured out why. Turns out that uh, in the brain, CERT one actually has a negative impact uh, in the pituitary. We haven't published this yet, but even though sort one made a robust mouse and it was protected against pretty much all diseases we could give it, diabetes and heart disease, it didn't live longer, and we found out, because in the pituitary, it needs to be off rather than on.
0: Ah, uh, so you've got this physically incredibly robust mouse, but it's actually suffering with dementia and it's, like, super old and super wise.
1: Uh, well, what happens with the pituitary is it controls gro- growth hormone. Yeah. And so what, by, by turning it down in the pituitary rather than up, mm-hmm. uh, we actually it created small mice that lived a long time, if we just tweaked it in that part of the body. Yeah. But by turning it on in the whole animal, that turning it on in and gave the mouse a lot of growth hormones, so we yeah. got a, a bigger, more robust mouse, but it, it didn't live longer, unfortunately.
0: You touched on growth hormone there. I remember watching uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, Chris Bell's uh, documentary a long time ago, where he was talking about uh, recreational steroids in America and said that uh, amongst that, one of the uh, commonly used compounds is human growth hormone. Uh, the UK is very different to the way that it is out here in terms of getting a prescription from your doctor and all that sort of stuff. One of the places that he went to was an anti-aging convention. Um, and he made a joke about there being loads of old people there walking around and pretty much every single stall was uh, offering human growth hormone, I think exogenous human growth hormone, as a, a a solution.
1: Right.
0: What's the truth in that, if there is any?
1: Well, I don't think there's any evidence in humans that it extends lifespan growth hormone. Okay. Uh, Does and it shorten it? Well, that's the debate. Uh, it's really not known. Anyone who says they know the answer really doesn't doesn't know what they're talking about. But <laughs> uh, theoretically, it could, it could shorten lifespan for a couple of reasons. One okay. is... Uh, So testosterone and growth hormone could make pre-existing tumors grow faster, Mm -hmm. potentially. Uh, But there have been a lot of studies where it's seemingly safe, at least over the course of a year or two. Uh, And so I think that, I hate to say this because we all want perfect answers, but the jury's still out about the Mm long-term safety. Uh, I think replenishing testosterone and growth hormone to levels that are natural in in young people, I think, should be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my personal view. Uh, testosterone has been studied quite a lot in the elderly and even though there were some benefits in terms of strength and and muscle maintenance uh there was apparently no change in mortality so we need to do more than just raise testosterone i believe
0: interesting i guess there's a a balance as well between quality and length of of life as well that you could potentially take something which may shorten your life but if it only reduces your life by five percent but doubles your mobility or um quality of life, however it may be, I suppose that there's a a very big balancing act that you guys constantly need to play when you're looking at these.
1: Well, it's not as hard as you might think. Uh, By turning on these sirtuin genes and changing mTOR and this AMP kinase, this metformin pathway, we actually find that we lengthen the health span of the animals. Uh, And so what that means is they don't get cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes until much later in their life. That's why we call it the health span. And you know what happens when animals don't get sick? They live longer. That's a nice side effect, right? Animals don't die if they're healthy. Same with humans. And so it hasn't been a hard uh, thing to balance. In fact, if you focus on health span, lifespan is a nice byproduct of that.
0: That's a very good way to look at it. So you've mentioned fasting would appear to be the the, Pareto, the 80-20 of, of what we're looking at here for the vast majority of people. It's free. I mean it's it's actually better than free like it's it's cheaper <laughs> right. than what you're doing at the moment um what else would you as a disclaimer we are not your doctor this is not medical advice please seek a physician etc cetera, etc cetera, disclaimer disclaimer um what else do you think is an optimal strategy that some people if they chose to would be able to undertake
1: sure well what I do is I uh besides intermittent fasting uh I also Exercise Uh, exercise is the other thing that raises NAD and boosts these longevity pathways, and we've also known uh, for centuries that this is healthy, right? Uh, So we're not discovering anything that new other than what types of exercise seem to activate these longevity pathways the best. And what Mm -hmm. seems to work best is the high-intensity interval training, is to get the body stressed. So just as intermittent fasting tricks the body into thinking your food's running out, exercise is tricking the body into thinking, I might Something's have to run a, a marathon, or yeah, the, exactly. There's a saber-toothed tiger in town, um, or cat. So that that's exactly right. So the the high intensity seems to really stimulate the body's defense networks even more than just a a long walk or or, 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 or a steady long run. Mm-hmm. It's all about varying it, right? The high, the low. So intermittent fasting, it's it's food, no food, and intensity training is running, stop, running, stop, hypoxia oxygen, hypoxia, and it's that up and down that seems to work really well. That's why whatever you're doing, do something different and get your body into shock. So the, the thing to think about is the concept is called hormesis, but really the c- concept of hormesis is just whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger <laughs> and longer live, by the way. So keep your body on edge.
0: It sounds like all of the things that are good for you are really uncomfortable. Or a lot of the things that yeah. are
1: good for you. Well, that's the say, I think people say, oh, why, is cake taste so, why does cake taste so good and why doesn't sitting on the couch feel good? <laughs> uh, no, other way around, why doesn't exercise feel good and why yeah. is sitting on the couch bad for you? Um, I mean, that's exactly the reason is that you've got to put your body in this the slight painful experience to get it to react. Otherwise, it becomes complacent and your body just falls apart.
0: It would be nice if cake extended your life, though, wouldn't it? It would be fantastic if that was the case. Um, so what? What else? What else is it that you're doing? What else?
1: Well, so I mentioned metformin. That's been a, a recent change. Uh, is that an so, some addition. of this?
0: Some of this is uh, available without prescription, but I think metformin yeah. is something which you do need a prescription for. Is that right?
1: In Western countries, yeah. In okay. Eastern countries, less over so. the
0: counter. Well, yes. Yeah, so yeah, Get everything in Thailand over the counter. Yeah,
1: you can, and, and actually, it's smart of them, I think, because. They, they have rampant diabetes like we do and metformin is one of the safest drugs in the world. Uh, You'll get an upset stomach. It's extremely rare that there's anything more serious than that. Uh, it's not perfectly safe. No drug is. Uh, but in terms of drugs, this one's pretty safe. It's a derivative of a molecule from the French lilac. It's an, basically a version of a plant molecule. Uh, so anyway, so I take metformin uh, every morning. Uh, Sometimes I vary it. You know, I'm not strict with everything, but sometimes it's half a gram. Sometimes it, it's a gram. Mm-hmm. A typical diabetic will take somewhere between a gram and two grams, so it's a bit below that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do I do? Let's get this all on the table. Throw it out there. Come on. All right. Again, disclaimer. I'm not recommending waiting,
0: David. it. The internet is waiting to find out what you do to live, make yourself live so long.
1: Uh, well, no, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to live longer. I'm. I'm 50. People can judge. How am I doing? You look fantastic,
0: man. Don't listen to the, Don't listen to the general public. <laughs>
1: Well, see to let me know if I have a gray hair that's been one thing Not that's yet. going all right. Oh yeah. Anyway, okay, so let's lay it out. Uh so an NAD booster. Yep, how much? Uh I take a uh a gram of an NAD booster every morning. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's water soluble, so I just take it with a drink with a coffee mm-hmm. um, along with the metformin. Um I also take uh, a gram of resveratrol uh which isn't a strict amount, I actually just shake some powder into a yogurt and mix it up, a few spoons of yogurt. I've also been asked over the internet uh, on Twitter that uh, asked, don't you think that that's breaking the fast? It's no longer fasting. I, I thought oh, you said, Sinclair, because, that you'd... Because
0: yeah. you're having a yogurt in the morning. Yeah, well, it's Your not actually the has ruined the, <laughs> the well, fast. Well,
1: I don't regard that as, as a lot of calories. I, I actually make my own yogurt. It's a, it's one made out of special bacteria.
0: Are you considering marketing it? I bet people would buy it. If you, if you released well, Sinclair yogurts,
1: It's not mine. It's actually commercially available.
0: Okay.
1: Where? Where? Well, I don't know the people who make it, so this is not an endorsement, but it's called Bravo. And I know it's in America and Europe. Okay. Uh, but it works out great. Uh, I don't follow the instructions. I just get full cream milk. I get a jar about that big. Uh, and I just pour it all in, shake it up, put it in the oven on, on defrost or okay. whatever it is. Yeah, I think yeah, it's. Yeah. It, it's body temperature. Leave it for about twenty four hours, and it's beautiful, thick yogurt. And for breakfast, I I take a, a couple of spoonfuls with I'm gonna my I'm going to guess butter.
0: that's probably not super calorie dense, anyway.
1: <laughs> probably is high f- full fat yogurt,
0: full fat milk though. Like yeah, how how much are you having? Like, is it a big bowl?
1: Well. I make it in, a, in well, yeah. general, How pig, much you eat? Two spoonfuls, two or three. It's you're not breaking the fast. I know that it says you're breaking
0: the fast. Chris, thank to, you. They need to leave the room. Don't worry. Um, so what else are you do? What else do you do? You're exercising, you're fasting, you've yeah. got your NAD, you've got your resveratrol, you've got your metformin.
1: Right. Is that... That's, that's the main thing. I mean, I'm, my doctor gives, gives me uh, a statin because I've had high cholesterol since I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. So that's another, you know... Thanks, Jewish genes. I'm kind of screwed there. <laughs> um, I take a, uh, still take a baby aspirin a day, even though the a baby aspirin. Well, it we it's it's eighty one milligrams of uh, aspirin.
0: Okay, what's that for? Blood thinning.
1: Right, right. And the the current recommendation in general from the medical association, just so we're clear, I, I'm not a doctor, but I read the literature, is that if you haven't had a heart attack, maybe maybe not take it. Uh, I haven't had a heart attack yet but I'm I'm convinced that it will help with my blood flow. I
0: thought you were going to say I'm convinced I'm going <laughs> to have one soon.
1: Gosh, I hope not. That would be a, a bad look. That for would the be a element. really bad look,
0: wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, One question that did come out of the Reddit furore, which I think was actually pretty pertinent, was when do you think that people should begin thinking about longevity? Obviously, we think about health our whole lives. Like, we don't just let the kids go loose on a, like a bag of sugar. But is there... You know, should people be taking NAD at 18 years old?
1: I love that question because uh, I have new answers to that based on new research, partly in this lab.
0: Unleash it. Unleash it on the world. The internet is waiting.
1: Here is something that almost no scientist, let alone in the public, understands. The clock of aging, the epigenetic clock that we measure, and other scientists have published now just a few months ago, begins even before birth. We are aging constantly. Oh, shit. Yep. Uh, And it actually tracks with development, girls who go through puberty early have a faster aging clock. So They're older. They're older. They're literally older. So even though you think you look old, you're actually getting older and you might age faster than others. It'll show up later in your life, but it's pretty scary, right? So the other thing that we know is that if your mother, while you were in her uterus, ate certain foods, you can be predisposed either to obesity and diabetes or to health and longer life, which is crazy. So you might, one answer could be the earlier the better. Even before you're born, you should be working on this.
0: <laughs> NAD is an embryo.
1: Yeah, right. If you've got, you know, helicopter parents, they'll genetically engineer you yeah, and feed yeah. you the right food. In, anyway, but I, the other, the other answer is, uh, this is a, a really important one, is that, in, in animal studies, in mouse studies particularly, the earlier we start, after development of course, we're not gonna uh, calorie restrict or interfere with these pathways before an animal reaches adulthood, mm-hmm. let alone a person. But after adulthood, say 24, 25 uh, equivalent of a mouse, we mm-hmm. put them on these regimes of molecules or genes, and that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck, start early. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we start midlife, let's say, on a 50-year-old equivalent of mm-hmm. a mouse, you get about half the effect of, of when you start early. Uh, and that's why, actually, uh, I've been, I started way early compared to my peers, my mm-hmm. scientific peers. I started resveratrol when I was in my early 30s, mm-hmm. and I probably would have started earlier knowing now uh, if I knew then what I know now.
0: Well, I guess when you're talking maybe 10, 20 years ago, it's this experimental drug. No one really knows what the effects are, and you're just like, oh, "Fuck it. it, might make me live longer. I better just take it." Like, exactly. that's a big risk to take.
1: Well, it wasn't that risky. We we had fed it to mice. I knew that it didn't kill them, uh, and it was in red wine. So I was just taking an overdose of the red wine molecule. But um, I'm prepared to 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 die for my science. I've never said that publicly, but I believe so strongly in what I do and the benefits for humanity. If I had died, I would have been pissed off, but I would have it Would have sucked. Yeah, but but I, I did it knowing that there were risks. And everybody who's listening uh, should know that what I'm saying I do comes with risks, right? I don't know if this gene of this molecule combination with exercise and all this is shortening my lifespan. So far, it's okay. I'm not dead yet. My cardiovascular system and everything else that's been measured comes out pretty healthy. Uh, but there are risks. And especially when I was in my 30s, it could have been toxic over 20 years or even toxic for a few months. But I didn't – I wasn't scared of the consequences. I was more scared of not knowing than actually finding out the truth.
0: Well, that's the true uh, inquisitiveness and I guess the ex- exploratory nature of someone who is a, a scientist at the at kind of the cutting edge of this sort of stuff. Um, one of my favorite podcasts that's ever been done is Matthew Walker, the guy who wrote Why We Sleep on Joe Rogan. And I think that the topics that particularly resonate with people are the ones that the um, broadest cross section of people can relate to. Everybody sleeps. Everybody's aging, and I think that that's one of the reasons why there is such a such an interest in this particular subject. Um, I, uh, I I was totally unexposed to the whole topic area before your podcast with Joe, and I'm super excited now, knowing about this whole new subdivision of science that I didn't really even know was, was this big, I'm super excited to see what happens, the same way as I read Super Intelligence by Nick Bostrom, and now I want to know, I'm super excited to see what happens, I'm terrified, but what might happen with AI, and it's the same for that, um, do yeah. you feel like a very
1: f- in a very fortunate position to
0: be have your finger in so many different longevity pies?
1: Yes, uh, there's no question that I wake up every up every day. And most days, uh, I pinch myself that I'm in this position. Uh, it hasn't been easy, and it's been not just hard work. I don't mind working hard. I love what I do, but it's been uh, there's been criticism. There's been ups and downs. Um, getting there to was your... nearly
0: a bankrupt company at one point, wasn't there? And you took a big risk at some point. I think there
1: was a ah uh, sure. I mean, there's there's been so many things. So uh, I've help build about 15 companies and they all go through strife and running out of money and a lot, most of the money that I make, I pour back into companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've made more money than I would ever know what to do with. But what I want to do with that is is pour it back in. And so my, my wife chews her fingernails because, you know, we, we're, we're multi, multi-millionaires for about a month until I find a way to get (laughs) rid of it. I don't want the money. I want to see that humanity progresses. I want to see what the future holds. I want us to get to the future faster. And that's my way of doing that. But anyway, the adversity, all scientists get criticized if they stick their neck out to do something that's different, whether it's discovering a longevity gene, or saying that we could live longer, or saying that aging is a disease, which I truly believe it is. All of those things have been tough. But fortunately, I'm very stubborn, and I'm not taking my eye off off the prize in the end, which is that we all get to live, hopefully all of us get to live longer, more productive lives. And when we do that, uh, we'll look back at today and think, what were we thinking? Why weren't we doing a a Manhattan Project, or maybe maybe I should call it a moonshot on this, because it's so important. Um, One of the things I truly believe is that we look at all the problems on the planet. It's global warming, there's uh, poverty, uh, there's bankruptcy for countries, or at least economic burden of people being sick. All of these are real problems, social security, um, welfare in uh, around the world. I think the, the biggest solution to that, um, and admittedly I, I'm somewhat biased, but I, I do crunch the numbers on this, is if we can solve people's health and make them more productive for another 10 years, maybe even longer, but 10 years would be enough to save trillions of dollars every year across the planet, even in the US it would be a saving in the tens of trillions of dollars. This is money that can be put to work saving the economy and working on other big problems that we need to solve like the uh, saving the environment, saving species, uh, preventing global warming.
0: Would there be an issue of overpopulation with that?
1: Yeah, good question. It, it, there's no question that if people aren't dying as fast as they, they would, there will be more people. But it's not as many as you might think if we stopped everybody dying today, uh, and which we can't do that, but if nobody died again, the rate of population growth would be less than the rate of immigration here in the US, which, um, you know, the government's trying to limit that as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not as though suddenly there's, there's five times as many people. Uh, and the good news is that, that we're not going to stop aging anytime soon. We're just going to hopefully live another five to ten years. What that means is, though, that We'll probably plateau around 10 billion, maybe up to 13 billion. But most of that problem is not driven by people living longer. It's driven by the birth rate. And over the last decade, we've seen an extraordinary change in our birth rate as a species. And it's going down all the time and going to plateau. The World Health Organization and the UN have agreed, and Bill Gates has given a wonderful podcast on this, that we're going to plateau out over the next 30 years. And we're not going to be overrun with humans. In fact, places like Europe and Asia, are especially Japan, are struggling with not enough babies. Humans. Exactly, more humans. But what you want to do is also preserve the productivity of the older people. So when we look at uh, a 70-year-old now, we think that's an old person. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 70 will be middle-aged. Uh, well, we certainly see that happening already. Look at Tom Cruise. He's... What's he now in his mid fifties? He's riding he's motorcycles. He's one hundred
0: and five, and he looks, looks great, fantastic, straight out of Cox's right. Top Gun. And I couldn't agree more. Th- that was the the question that I wanted to finish on was, um, well, two parts. Firstly, would it be possible to make someone live for a, a really inordinate amount of time, like a thousand years? Is that possible? Presuming they don't, you know, get shot or one of the easier ways of uh, of killing someone that we identified earlier on. Is there is there a realistic upper limit on the amount of time that an organism could live?
1: Well, we know that there there isn't. There are immortal organisms on the planet. There are trees that live for thousands of years. There are jellyfish that go on hydra. These little jellyfish like things they live for, for seemingly immor, immort go for immortality. the The mistake that that most people have is that they think that there is a biological limit to humans and. They look at human history, and they say, looking back in time, there's never been anyone who, as far as we know, has lived beyond 122, and even that's doubtful. Mm. That's, being, that's being challenged.
0: I was in the uh, Guinness Book of World Records uh, store on Hollywood Boulevard a couple of days ago, and they had the photo of the guy that was 120 that was the oldest certified, I think. But, I mean, I'm going yeah. to guess that the standards to which you hold your research maybe a little bit higher than that that the Guinness Book of Records does.
1: Well, whether or not Jean Calmet in France lived to 120 or, no, or, or not doesn't matter. Um, there are still plenty of people who make it to 115, 117. So let's say that's the, the, the current limit, but looking backwards doesn't tell you the, the future when it comes to technology. When you looked at the Wright brothers, looking backwards from 1902 doesn't really tell you that we're going to go to the moon within 60 years. Uh, so that actually happened. Um, so what I, I think is that there is no biological limit to human lifespan. We are living things. We fix ourselves. We repair ourselves. Uh, we succumb to entropy, no question. We we lose information over time. But what we've discovered with this reprogramming stuff is that we can regain information that is still there as we get older. We just need to access it. Those genes are still there to make us young. We just need to tell the cell to read the right genes at the right time, and we can reverse aging. Um, And we don't know how many times you can reverse aging, but it's possible you could. Uh, So let me tell you a bit of a story, but it's based on results in the lab. You know how I was telling you we can reprogram neurons to grow again. We can actually use that same virus to infect an entire mouse and turn on these reprogramming genes and get the mouse, we think, to, to be younger. That's what we're working on. So imagine a future where you could have your genome changed so that you have these reprogramming factors injected. So I'll I'll come along, Chris, today. We can go to my lab. If we wanted to, literally, I could take a vial of the virus, I could get give you an injection, and it would be compatible with your body, and you would be genetically modified to be able to be reprogrammed. Now, we've engineered that virus, literally, we have done this, to be turned on by an antibiotic called doxycycline, which you can go get from your doctor.
0: I've been on it for a while. I've been on and off it for the last few years, yeah. It's used as a, uh, doxy tetracycline is used as a
1: acne drug. Yes, or anti-malarial, or if you have Lyme yes. disease here in the US. It's pretty safe. I mean, you would want to take it. You don't time.
0: accidentally take that when you've got this super gene that's potentially active inside of you.
1: Well, so here's the thing. we Imagine a future where you now have this, Virus in your body, and it's switched off. You've nothing's happening to you, but you start to uh, experience aging. Let's say you're starting to build up cardiovascular disease in your in your veins, or you're losing your memory. How about you just take antibiotic for a few weeks? Your reprogramming factors come on. Your body gets rejuvenated. It finds the youthful information. Your nerve cells remember how to be nerve cells again and you get rejuvenated. You go back another decade. You don't go, don't go too far. You stop taking the antibiotic before it causes a tumour or something really bad um, and you get reset. And then you wait another 20 years and you turn it back on and you get rejuvenated time and time again. And maybe that's the path to, to living for a 1,000 years. But for the first time in my career, I can actually see how it would be possible to do that.
0: It was just conjecture before, whereas now there's there's an actual mechanism, there's a pathway.
1: It wasn't even conjecture. It was insanity to think that it was possible. (laughs) And anyone who would say that we could live a thousand years was considered crazy. And I'm on record saying that the first person who's born today could live to 150. Uh, And I get criticised by a lot of people for saying that because it sounds outrageous. Um, And I don't know if that's true, but I do know that someone who's born today is most likely going to make it to the year what, 22, uh, twenty at least, mm-hmm. what kind of technologies will they have then?
0: You are totally right. And I suppose as well, if, as you've suggested today, ageing is a not only something which can be paused at its current point uh, and kind of held where it is, but can also be reversed. It means that as soon as sufficiently sophisticated technology becomes available... Everyone who is alive at that time is potentially brought back to wherever they need to be.
1: Right. And actually, the longer you live, the longer you get to live.
0: Yeah, (laughs) which is very bizarre. So everybody should be working on not getting shot and not stepping out into open traffic and not eating cake, not sitting on the couch. Yeah. Because the longer that you live is the potential that you'll get towards being around when we do have this particular solution.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the number is every year you live, you get another three months extra of life. Uh, That's so it,
0: crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, it gets kind of weird when you, when you get to a technology where every year you live, you get another year to live.
0: Wow. That's like the... Um, uh, it's not Dunbar's number what's the one that talks about uh, processing power doubling every three years mm-hmm. for computers it's the equivalent but for lifespan yeah it's Moore's law based for well, lifespan Moore's yeah. law for human beings yeah that's fascinating well I mean I, I really appreciate your time I appreciate you uh kicking Elon out so that I could come and <laughs> come and sit down and <laughs> sit down in your office Um hopefully I'll be back in, in you know five years time looking f- at the same age that I am now and you will be as well and uh we can discuss about how far the the research has moved from that. If um if any of the listeners, and I'm sure that there will be, as you've been inundated with requests uh, over the last few years, if they want to do some further reading or uh, uh, look at some things online, have you got any resources or blogs or books that you would recommend?
1: I, I do. Uh, so I I. I tweet out new discoveries and new things that I'm thinking about and things that other people have discovered, so my Twitter handle is David A. Sinclair, no E at the end, Uh, and so that's the main way I get daily information out, but I've also poured everything that's in my brain uh, into a book that's coming out uh, later this year in the US, it's coming out in September, early September, it'll be out in the UK and then globally, Uh, it's called Lifespan, Uh, the revolutionary science of why we age and why we don't have to and I'm pretty excited about it um, because it's going to answer pretty much all of the questions that people have been asking me over the last couple of decades. That's
0: so fascinating it must feel I, I once said this I did a podcast that was essentially me answering a bunch of questions I get asked all the time will you look forward to receiving all of the emails about how much NAD should I be taking when should I start doing it Is my testosterone out of Optimal? And all that you ever need to do is just send them one Amazon link. That's like just, that's the panacea answer, right? Just, there you go. Read the book. Read the book.
1: Well, that—that yeah, it's all in the book, plus more. Uh, What I want to do with the book is to give readers uh, a front row seat on this world that I'm experiencing every day, which is blowing my mind and making my head spin off. Uh, In terms of the input, I try to a- answer most emails. It, it gets pretty hard sometimes. Uh, I do also do a LinkedIn blog, so also that's a longer format of, of things that I think about and, and answers to questions like this. I want to do more uh, Ask Me Anything AMAs on Reddit too, But so look for the,
0: that. Uh, the number of requests, I'm sure that the, the people on Reddit who are currently writing nasty comments about the fact that I can't pronounce the words that they sent me to give to you will be very happy to hear uh, that you will go and do an Ask Me Anything Guys, if you do want that, don't forget. Make sure that you comment below on YouTube or hassle David. I'm sure that he'll have some some form of hassle. Tweet him, tweet him, and annoy him, and then he'll go back on and he'll do he'll do another ask me anything. David, it's been it's been absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you uh, you coming on today and having me in your beautiful office, and um, I'm looking forward to the book coming out. I'm really excited.
1: Well, thanks, Chris. It's been great to be on here.